This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Investec Asset Management. Value of investments can fall as well as rise and losses may be made. Earlier this year, I read an article in the Financial Times, the headline of which was the following, Investors Must Face Energy's Third Energy Transition. The first paragraph goes on to say the following, The global energy system is on the cusp of a revolution and investors in the sector risk sleepwalking into a period of momentous change. With me now is Tom Nelson, who is Head of Natural Resources at Investec Asset Management in London. The third energy transition, Tom, let's just define that first of all. Yes, well, we define this energy transition as a significant change in the primary makeup of global energy supply. And if we look back over the last 300 or so years, in essence, we see mankind moving from biofuels, particularly burning wood, uh, to coal. And then over the course of the 19th century, moving from burning coal towards, or rather over the course of the 20th century, moving from burning coal to burning oil and gas. And we believe that we are now in uh, effectively the third energy transition. And what's really interesting, if we look back through history, is what we can learn from the previous iterations. Yes, indeed. So we've gone from burning to burning to burning. And of course, now what we want to do is phase out burning altogether. At what stage do you think that the traditional burning of fossil fuels will be equaled by renewable energy sources? Lots of different theories on this one. But it, it seems to me to be catching up at quite a pace. It is. And again, that's why I think studying the, the history and these previous transitions can, can teach us a lot. We are seeing a very, very rapid rise in the role played by renewable energy. And we are seeing a phasing out uh, or the early stages of a phasing out of coal for power generation. But I think the two things that we really learn from history, uh, looking back uh, over the previous transitions, one is that uh, typically... Uh, these transitions take a little longer than people expect in the sense that it just does take time for, for new systems, for new infrastructure, new technology, new policy, etc., to take over. Uh, the other thing we learn is that the incumbent supply sources uh, typically continue to play a role. In other words, it isn't a complete out with the old, in with the new. Rather, it becomes more of a diversification of energy supply source. So the diversification element, how long typically would that take given the previous iterations that you spoke about? We think, and, and you know, there are lots of very, very good and interesting models out there and estimates and forecasts. Uh, we think, uh, based on the work that we've done and the work that we've digested from others, um, that the global energy system could be approximately 50-50 between renewables, including hydro, and hydrocarbons uh, by mid-century, in other words, in a little over 30 years. That is the approximate framework that we are, uh, that, that we are working around. 
which in the big scheme of things, of course, is just a heartbeat away. Before we get on to the role of China and the role or lack of role of the United States, I was flying recently from Amsterdam to London, and the first thing that you see as you leave the land and hit the ocean from Amsterdam is a giant wind farm. And the last thing you see when you go from the ocean to the land approaching the United Kingdom, the southeast of the United Kingdom, is a wind farm. What is the mix likely to be in renewables? Well, that's a, a very interesting question and, and arguably the most difficult one to answer. I mean, our starting point is that the energy supply system will be diversified, uh, point number one. Within renewables, wind, both onshore and offshore, uh, will have a huge role to play, as will solar, as will a number of other sources. But at this point in time, based on what we call the LCOE, which is the levelized cost of electricity, i.e. the effective economics of the technologies, we see solar and wind, both on and offshore, as being the structural winners. And when we think about growth rates from this point forward over the next 30 years, we think it's reasonable to assume that global adoption of those two technologies could run at between 5 and 10% annualized growth over the next 20 to 30 years, which in, a, in an increasingly challenging and low-growth investment environment we think that getting exposure to those sort of growth rates or growth trajectories is enormously exciting. Yes, what's also enormously exciting from an observer's point of view is the lead role being assumed by China and because of certain political developments of the last two years, the US being pushed into the background. Is that a reality and is it just a moment in time or has China really set the tone for what renewable energy economy should look like? Well, we think it's more than just a moment in time. We think that China has, has achieved a genuine global leadership in renewable energy technology. There are a number of reasons behind it. The first is technological advancement and manufacturing capability. There is also the strong incentive or sense of domestic urgency driven by security of energy supply. There is centralized, joined-up government policy there is also, of course, the environmental impact and the greater understanding around environmental threats in China. So it's really phenomenal what is happening in China. Um, we've been on two extensive research trips, taking in industrial uh, expositions and exhibitions, as well as uh, looking at facilities and meeting a significant number of companies. And, and we, we think that China has really seized this and uh, see no reason to believe that uh, their leadership in this sector will be surpassed anytime soon. And on the other side of the coin is the United States of America. When you see Mr. Trump on one of his electioneering campaign shows, for want of a better phrase, you'll see these banners saying Trump digs coal. Is this a moment in time and can be turned around quite quickly, i.e. back to renewables? I, I you know, I may be accused of over-optimism uh, or rose-tinted perspective on this one. I think actually that Trump's attempt to derail the move towards renewable sources of electricity and power generation and energy supply in the US, I think actually Trump's intervention will, will go down as the short-term footnote stroke interruption. I think that the US at a national level will move in a large way towards renewable sources of electricity and energy, not to say that the uh, domestic endowment and legacy of oil and gas and coal won't have a role to play. I come back to the diversified 
makeup of, of energy supply on a global basis. But I think that Trump will be a setback on an otherwise reasonably concerted move towards renewables in the US over the coming decades. Let's put all this together now and refer back to the Financial Times article where they, in their first couple of sentences, talked about investors. What is the investment case? How easy is it to invest in renewable energy? Do we automatically go to China and Chinese companies? Uh, Please give us an idea. No, the really exciting thing about getting exposure to the rise of renewables um, is that it is happening on a global basis. Uh, We've talked about China's leadership and there are fantastic domestic Chinese companies across all of these technologies and sub-industries. But there are also very, very strong businesses across the global spectrum. Um, the, I, th- I think the attractive thing for investors, aside from the overarching growth environment in which these companies are operating, is that they are very much stronger and more stable financial businesses than they were five and certainly ten years ago. And so what we're seeing is this maturing of the sector at at precisely the same moment that investor awareness and understanding of what these businesses could achieve on a 10 or 20 year basis is coming to the fore. So it's been a long time coming and we've seen a lot of bad companies driven out of business or marginalized by investors. But we think that this is a good time to be looking uh, given, as I say, the combination of growth outlook and increasingly strong financial characteristics. So would you say this is a standalone viable asset class? I would say that anyone who is thinking about structural themes that are likely to prevail over the next decade, two, three decades, need to think very carefully about what the energy transition means to their portfolios. And a lot of people's knee-jerk reaction is to think about the risk, the risk of stranded assets, the risk of carbon pricing, the risk of having emitters within a portfolio, that of course needs to be understood and thought about very deeply. But I think that people are spending too little time thinking about the opportunities from what we call the enablers. And to a great extent, that is renewable energy and environmental businesses. And I think if you can harness those two sides of it, in other words, uh, avoiding uh, the big risks uh, and possibly actually taking advantages of businesses that are perceived to have significant carbon risk, but actually are generating excess cash, while also allocating to the enablers and the decarbonizers. Uh, I think that's a fantastically exciting opportunity, set. Tom, thanks very much for your insight. Tom Nelson is Head of Natural Resources at Investec Asset Management in London. In South Africa, Investec Asset Management is an authorised financial services provider.